Bible, why don't you turn to the book of Acts? We're going to continue our series on the book of Acts. And this morning, we're looking at chapter, chapter 5, verses 12 through to verse 16. Acts 5, 12 through to verse 16. Are you there? It says this, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were done regularly. Signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shadows. Shadows aren't usually nice things, are they? Particularly if you ask one of our children who who left us and went to be part of the ministry happening at the other side of the building. Shadows aren't nice things. When I was a young child, I had a fear a fear that someone unknown to me was going to come into my room. But that fear of someone evolved, and it drove me not to look out for a figure to enter my room, but I began to look for the shadow on the wall. Over time, it was the shadows that I began to fear because the scurry man never appeared, but the shadowy shapes on the wall did. Whether these shadows, these shapes were real or in my imagination, the terror of them was palpable and it seized me in the sleeplessness. The only thing that comforted me was, was one of my parents running into my room and flicking on the light, dispelling the darkness. Peter's shadow that we read about in this passage, the shadow of the New Testament church, it wasn't like the shadow of young Tyler's overactive brain. The early church's shadow did not fill the Middle East with darkness. The shadow cast by Peter and by the early church was a shadow that dispelled the darkness Peter's shadow was one of illumination and one of light. In verse 13 of the passage that we read, it tells us that those outside the church highly esteemed the church because of the shadow that was cast by it. Verse 16 shows us that people people were willing to travel, that they might be found within reach of the church that they might be around Peter and the early church. My question for you this morning is this, what is 
your shadow? What does your shadow look like? What is the shadow that this church is casting over Dundonald and beyond? What does your colleagues, what do your colleagues say about you? What does this community say about us? Is your shadow, your influence, one of defeat, despair, death, or is it one of light, one of hope, one of healing and life, like that of the early church? We know that Christ alone is the light. He alone can overcome the darkness. By Christ alone, Will we do what Matthew 5 verse 16 says? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 9 says that Christ overshadows him. Christ who is the light of the world overshadows him in light. The early church We're conduits, carriers of Christ's overshadowing light. And this is what we see in these verses. This is what we see in Acts chapter 5. Hearts were healed and made whole by this light. Bodies were healed. Hands were released into godly service by this light. How was their light Their shadow of light, how was it so bright and so attractive that, as verse 14 tells us, that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord? How did this group, this church like us, this community of believers, how did they exhibit Christ and his glorious light so well? Verse 12 says that they were together. Verse 12 says, and they were all together together in Solomon's portico. The deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, a divine work of of pruning that the Lord did among this church caused a a reverent fear that bound this community tighter than ever. The threats breathed out by the Sanhedrin caused this church to be huddled together like never before. The deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, the threats of the Sanhedrin, because of that, as a result, those who were indifferent, those who were not serious enough about God, left the community or didn't join it in the first place. Verse 13 says, none of the rest dared to join them. This pruning that they experienced made this church cleave closer than ever before. It made them more authentic. It made them more serious about the gospel. It made them more like Christ. It made their shadow brighter and more effective. We will fill this church in a matter of a few months by diluting the message that we preach. To moderate this message, to remove the offense, to speak only of heaven and not hell, to encourage and not correct, to preach a humanistic gospel that domesticates God and sissifies God, a holy and righteous God, will fill this church with people, but it will empty it off. Disciples, 
people who will cast a, a shadow of light, illuminating light that makes a difference. To dilute this message will dull our shadow for Christ, to dull our shadow and, and dull our, our chance of making any real significant difference in the lives of those around us. See, the early church were better. We are better together because together our light is brighter and it is more far reaching. The Greek word used here for together, homothi madon, if I pronounce that correctly, means of one accord, of one accord. It's used 11 times in the New Testament and 10 times to describe the early church and the nature of this community set apart for God. The Greek word carries musical connotations. It's as if the early church is this harmonious orchestra for God with the Holy Spirit as the conductor. I want to ask you the question, are you part of the orchestra of this fellowship, of this church? Are you part of the shadow of light of the Donald Elam? I'm not asking you, are you in communion with the living God? Although that is what we're about and that's what we want to certainly encourage. I'm not asking you, are you a student of the word? Are you a praying person? Although again, that is an incredible thing to be. I'm not even asking, are you attending this church regularly? But are you part of this church's shadow? I'm asking you, if this is your home, are you part of this church's output? Are you part of this church's shadow that we cast everywhere we go at all times? Verse 12 says that they were together. They were together in Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico was this sheltered area, this open area, this public area, and there were the believers gathered in this public area in one accord, in the public crucible where their faith was tested in their, in their endeavor to win souls to the kingdom of heaven. Regularly, the early church, the New Testament church, pursued the lost together. That's what this church does. That's what Donald Elam does. We pursue the lost together. Most of the ministries in our church are evangelistic in nature, if not entirely with, a, with an in, in evangelistic edge to it. At the very least, our ministries, all of them have evangelism as one of their core objectives. Are you part of the shadow of this church? What work, what ministry, what people would God lay in your heart? I want to encourage you as part of this church, if this is your home, to serve, to serve in some way, to serve the lost. This church needs volunteers and will forever need volunteers, providing that people need one in Dundonald, in Belfast, in Ireland. The New Testament pattern was that saints together would serve those without a savior. Why together? Because together we are brighter and more far reaching. 
Peter and the New Testament church cast a shadow of light, of life, of healing, of hope by activating during faith within the context of community. Verse 13 says, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. There was something about this community of faith. There was something during about this group of believers that people wouldn't dare even to join them. Their shadow, their influence would not extend unless they stuck out their necks. See, being together means nothing without faith. Faith was their power. Faith was their purpose. This was a daring community full of faith. They dared to jeopardize their personal safety before the Sanhedrin. They dared to become less employable in society. They dared to make their faith a risky business. I don't know about you, but I wonder what people think when they look at my life. I want people to see someone who is daring, someone who is living full of faith in such a way that it would put people off, that people wouldn't dare live the type of life that I am living because I am living a recklessly daring life. See, only will people simultaneously be be drawn to us when they're put off us. We read in these verses that people looked on and were put off joining this community. Yet because of that, verse 14 says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. See, the fact that there was something sincere, something real, something daring, something full of faith, because of that, people looked on and, and seen something in that community that they wanted, seen something in that community that was missing in their life. And because of that, they wanted to be part of it, even though they were put off it. What dares are you daring for? I wonder if you can remember a time in your life when life was a little bit more exciting, when there was a little bit more passion in your heartbeat, when, there, when life was a whirlwind of adventure and thrill because you believed in faith that your life, your life could make a difference. Where did that daring faith go? Here's the, the paradox of the New Testament church. Their faith was their confidence. Their faith was their confidence. How can you have confidence in what you do not know? How can you have confidence in the unknown? It's a good question. But it was faith in the unknown that invigorated them. It was faith in the unknown that propelled them into risk and into uncertainty. We do not know what will happen when we live in faith, when we step out in faith, but neither did they. But that's the point. That's 
the point. So often we don't live in during faith. For, so often we don't live in enduring faith and we miss the point of our lives. The point of your faith is faith. The point is by nature you couldn't do it. But by faith, you believe that you can. Or should I say, God can. Nothing is more exciting than waking up with faith in your heart, faith and expectancy for that day and what God might do in it. For be it from you and from me that we would set out to live this life of faith in a way that did not require any faith from us. I believe that God can heal bodies. I believe that God could shake the foundations of this building. I believe that right now we could even see unprecedented salvation come this day. I believe the Son of God could return. I believe it. I believe it. I wonder if you believe it. Lord, help us. Lord, help us believe it all the more. Verse 15 says, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. How can, how can we believe in this? How can we believe in these things? Chiefly because we've seen them before. If you've seen these things happen before, then that is a reason to believe and that might help you believe, but it's not why we believe. We believe because of faith. That's not a position of weakness. It was always meant to be a position of faith that we live in. The New Testament church, their paradox was that their faith was their confidence. Is faith your confidence? Is the unknown your confidence? It can be, it doesn't make sense, but it can be because God is involved. He is the object of our faith. We put, I don't know about you, but we put parameters around our heart defining what God can and cannot do. But this is nonsense. And it's a deadly foe that will make us dry and ineffective. God is light. <laughs> Thank you for the visual demonstration. I wonder if you could pray with me today. God, give us faith to believe in faith again. To believe in the ridiculous, to believe in the supernatural, to believe in the impossible. This is what we see in this passage. It's the most intellectual thing that you could do. Believing, and believing like a child, is the most pr profound philosophy that will do more for you than Plato and Aristotle and Socrates all wrapped up in one. How? Because faith makes a difference. Faith substantively makes a difference. Unlike many sophisticated intellectual, intellectual constructs which touch the mind but have no innate power, no inherent power to change us. When revival faith comes, when 
God in his sovereignty moves, prisons are emptied, crime decreases. What else could do that? What other intellectual philosophy could do that? Faith is substantive. It evidences in something. It's measurable. It does something. Faith makes a difference. This was the early churches. This was the New Testament church's confidence. The New Testament church activated a during faith and by it cast Christ, cast a shadow of Christ over Jerusalem in compelling light. What was the essence of the New Testament church's shadow of light and hope and healing? Their unity of togetherness, their during faith and their belief in a God who regularly just does things among his people. Verse 12 says this, and many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the the apostles. And young adults, we're meeting tomorrow night, by the way, shameless plug, tomorrow night, 7.30, Minor Hall. Um, I've got a message on my heart, really excited for it. Um, Be there if you are uh, upper sixth through to mid-twenties. I would love to see you there. Open invite. But in, in our ministry, in young adults, there's a section of every time we meet, someone shares for five minutes or so, shares a story of faith, a story of during faith, a story of risk, a story where God is moving through us and in us. Why do we have that? Why do we share stories? Because we believe God is regularly doing among his people. We are not deists. We are not people who believe in this clockmaker type God. This God who sat down, designed the clock, made the clogs, the hands, the shell, put it together in such a way that that clock, that watch could work on its own accord. We don't believe in a God like that, a God who created the world and abandoned it and just gave it rules that would govern it. We don't believe in that God. We believe in a God who is regularly doing, a God who is not far removed or distant, but a God who is imminent, a God who is close, a God who is constantly, regularly working among his people. See, we don't tell the story of a man who lived 2,000 years ago, although we do tell that story. But we have a story of him. We have our own story of him. When we talk about him, we don't talk about an event 2,000 years ago, but we talk about a man, a God-man, who is very alive and very active and moving in our lives. He is regularly at work in us. Where is the intersection? Where he regularly meets his people. It's in faith. And it's often in community. It's in the realm of faith-filled living that we see the regularity of God's working in us and through us. And in community, we see the regularness of his work all the more. Only by 
being united to each other in faith, believing in a regularly doing God, will we cast a shadow with our lives over our colleagues, over our workplaces, over our community as a church? Only then will we do that. Verse 12 says, Now many signs and wonders, signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. In Acts 4, verse 30, we've looked at it before in previous weeks, the church in faith prayed and believed God for signs and wonders. Acts 4, 29 through to 30, and now the Lord looked upon their threats and granted and grant to your servants Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Signs and wonders, this is something we can ask for and something we should ask for. Dare to ask him again. They're regularly working God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, What is needed is not some mighty demonst- what is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God, some enactment of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen. That is why I am urging you to pray for this signs and wonders. When God acts, He can do more in a minute than a man can with his organizing can do in 50 years. The early church, the New Testament church, they weren't open to signs and wonders. They were desperate. They were prayerfully desperate that God might break in in their midst. Let us not be a church who would be unbiblical as to only be open to God's miraculous May we be a church that is pushing in and pressing in in prayer, asking God that he would do only what he can do, that he would come and overshadow us. Why did this church want signs and wonders? Why did they pray? Why were they desperately longing to see God move in in that way? This was the generation the first century generation that had more immediate and more compelling evidence for the resurrection and the truth of it than any generation since. There were, th- there were hundreds, scores and scores of people in Jerusalem who could testify of seeing the risen Jesus. Arguably, Peter and Paul's preaching was the most powerful preaching that in the history of the universe, in the history of the world, if we ever needed signs and wonders. Surely we need them so much more today. God, authenticate us by your power. But why did the church pray for signs and wonders? Why pray for the power of God? I want to suggest that this church were desperate to see the power of God break in on their, in, in their midst for the sake of seeing the goodness of God. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, I believe wants, to see, wants us to see the connection between verse 12 and verse 14. 
verse 12, the signs and wonders in verse 12. And then the people coming to faith in verse 14. In Acts 14, verse 3, it says that Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas remained a long time in Iconium, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Signs and wonders don't compromise the preaching of God's words. They bear witness to God's words. Signs and wonders are not the saving word of grace, but they're a second testimony to God's saving power. They're, they supplement the preaching of God's words and the truth of the gospel. Signs and wonders don't make it, they don't change us, they don't change our hearts, but, do they point, but they point to the one who can. Signs and wonders point to the sign and wonder, the Lord Jesus Christ. God comes in power in signs and wonders to save. This is constant through Acts. And may our constant cry be, by faith, Lord, do it again. Amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones again, he says this, we can produce a number of converts. Thank God for that. And that goes on regularly in evangelical churches every Sunday. But we need today, what we need today is much too great for that. The need today is for an authentication of God, of the supernatural, of the spiritual, of the eternal. And this can only be answered by God graciously hearing our cry and shedding forth again his spirit upon us, filling us as he kept filling the early church. If the band want to come up and join me. So in conclusion, we pray. Father, overshadow us. Overshadow us that we may cast a shadow of illuminating light in the darkness of the world around us. Root us in a communion of love with the Godhead and the body of Christ, the church. May we, empowered by your spirit and united in the orchestra of faith that is the church, may we have the faith to believe in the power of believing again. Faith is what you have asked for. May unhindered faith be given to you as you blow in the wind of the sails of our life again, daring to believe that you can use us as individuals and as a flock, winning people to the fold of Christ. God, show us. Show us the regularity of your work in us. Help us to see it. Help us to tell others about it. Demonstrate your power amongst us. Do we want that? Lord, help us in faith to ask again that bodies might be healed so that souls might be saved. We ask that diseases would vanish so that faith might appear. Give us the miracle of faith. Faith like a child. Faith to live. The life of faith in a way that requires faith. Faith to live differently in a way that draws the lost to be found in Jesus' name. Amen.